Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. A really kind of good starting approach is, again, to reach out to your mortgage broker, tell them what you plan on doing, give them background on yourself and then ask them what they believe is the best loan program for you. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. As you know, each week we air two podcast episodes every Wednesday and Thursday that are a part of a larger podcast series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document, spreadsheet, some sort of resource for you to download for free that accompanies that podcast series. All of these documents, as well as past and future syndication school series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to wrap up a four-part series that is entitled How to Secure Financing for an Apartment Syndicated Deal. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to parts one through three. In part one, we talked about the two different types of debt, which are recourse and non-recourse. We had a conversation about how to approach 
qualifying for the loan as a loan guarantor, either as yourself or finding someone else. And if you find someone else, how to compensate that person or people. And then we also introduced the two main categories of financing, which are the bridge loans and the permanent loans. In parts two and three, we went over the top, most popular, most common loan programs that apartment syndicators secure for their apartment deals. In part two, we discussed the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loan programs. So we discussed the agency programs. And then in part three, we discussed the remaining top loan programs, which were the HUD, the CMBS, the traditional bank, and the life insurance companies. And then we also had a discussion on how to approach assumable loans, as well as how to approach supplemental loans. Now, I wanted to begin this episode by finishing off last episode, which is to talk about what documents you need to bring to the lender in order to begin the process of qualifying and securing that loan. Then we're going to conclude with walking you through the thought process of selecting the ideal loan for you. So really quickly, the things that you need to provide to the lender to initiate the process of securing that loan is number one, going to be your biography. And taking a step back, some of these things you might have already sent to the mortgage broker or the lender that you're working with prior to finding a deal. So if you remember back in an earlier syndication school series, we talked about putting your team together. And one of those team members is going to be a mortgage broker or a lender. So you should already have a list of potential mortgage brokers to reach out to. They should already know who you are. They should already know what you're trying to do. But now you actually have a deal, and so the information you need to provide to them needs to be more specific. So if you haven't done so already, they're going to need a biography. They're going to want to know about you and your team members, and the information they want to know about you and your team member needs to be relevant to the deal and the business plan. And I'll talk about that here in a second. Next, you're going to need to send them your personal tax returns. So pretty simple. Then you're going to need to provide them with a personal financial statement for each loan guarantor. So anyone who's signing on the loan, if it's just you, then you send them your personal financial statement. And if it is you and someone else, then you're going to need to get your hands on their personal financial statement as well. Typically, the mortgage broker should send you a template to fill out, maybe an Excel spreadsheet to fill out with all the information prior to you finding a deal. This they can qualify you kind of preliminarily for a loan amount. But at this point, they're going to want actual documentation and actual evidence to support the information you already provided. And obviously, if you didn't provide the information already, then this is when you do so. They're also going to request the financials for the subject property, typically the T12 and a current rent roll. And then they're going to want a breakdown of your budget. So this might mean they just want you to send them your cash flow calculator, which probably is not going to happen because all cash flow calculators are different. But they're going to want to see your hold period projection. So if it's a five-year hold period, they're going to want to see the pro forma for that. So an itemized list of the incomes and the expenses and then the NOI at the end. And they're also going to want to have a list of what you plan on doing to the property after acquiring it as well as the costs. So that's going to be your CapEx budget. So a list of the interior upgrades the estimated costs, a list of the exterior upgrades and the estimated costs, and then any contingency budget that you're accounting for and anything else that you plan on raising capital for. 
And then lastly, they're going to want to know what your business plan is. So this can be a formal business plan, or you can just describe to them, hey, I plan on buying this property. I plan on investing a million dollars into the interiors. And based off of these rental comps, we'll be able to demand a premium of $150. I plan on stabilizing the property at a 95% occupancy within 24 months. And I plan on selling after five years at this cap rate. And here's how much money I expect to make at sale. So depending on what your business plan is, let's go back to the biography for a second. If your business plan is to add value and then sell, then in your biography, you're going to want to provide evidence that supports your ability to execute that business plan. So if you have experience with that specific business plan, outline the experience, maybe even provide some case studies. If you don't, that's when you need to rely on the experience of your team members. So if you have a consultant or a mentor, if you have a partner, if you have a property management company, that's when you want to talk about them. So that's generally what you're going to need to give to the lender. They might have additional items that they request. So make sure, and I believe I mentioned this during the syndication school series where I talked about types of questions to ask the mortgage broker and the questions they're going to ask you. Ask them what information they need from you in order to qualify you for a loan once you actually have a deal under contract. Now to the conclusion of this series is, all right, so you gave me all this information about all the different loan types, the pros and cons of each, what I need to bring to the lender, but how do I know what loans to get? Which loan program is going to be ideal for you? And of course, like the majority of answers to kind of these general questions, like what's the best thing for me to do, is it really depends. Because obviously, if you remember from parts three and four, when I went through the different loan programs, they all have different requirements and they all have different terms. So you're going to want to kind of go through a list of questions, so to speak, to ask yourself. And based off of your responses to those questions, you will eventually land on the ideal loan. And we're going to go through that right now. But first, I wanted to mention something, which is an issue that I ran into, and I'm sure others have ran into as well, is that if you talk to a lender and you say, hey, these are the type of deals I'm looking for. Can you give me some estimated loan terms for this value-add deal at this size? And they might say, oh, you know, it'll be between 70 and 80% LTV. Interest rates right now are around 5.5%. So it'll be somewhere around there. And the loan term can be anywhere between 5 and 12 years. Now, when you're underwriting a deal, before you actually have the deal under contract and you're getting specifics from the lender, how do you determine what your debt service is going to be? And I spoke with a lender and he gave me a very interesting solution to this problem. So essentially what you want to do, and this is after you fill out your cash flow calculator following these steps that I outlined in a previous syndication school episode. And if you don't know what your interest rate is going to be, you don't know what the LTV is going to be, there's kind of a workaround to calculate the debt service. So there's the term debt service coverage ratio, DCSR, which is a ratio that is a measure of the cash flow available to pay the debt obligations. And this ratio is calculated by dividing the net operating income by the total debt service. So as we learned in algebra, maybe with calculus, if you have a formula with three variables, as long as you know two of the variables, you can calculate the third variable. So at this point in the underwriting process, you have your net operating income. So you have the current net operating income based off of the owner's financials. And then you also have a debt service coverage ratio. Now at this point, you need to have an idea of what loan program you're going to be pursuing. 
So Fannie and Freddie are going to be going for some sort of renovation loan. And this is all based off of your business plan. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But once you know which loan program you're going to pursue, then you know what their minimum debt service coverage ratio requirement is. So for example, if you're pursuing a agency loan, then the debt service coverage ratio is 1.25. And that's the minimum. So since this is a ratio, when I say minimum debt service coverage ratio, that's actually going to be what your maximum debt service is going to be. Because as the debt service coverage ratio goes up, the debt service goes down. So again, based off the calculus, if you know the current net operating income and you have an idea of what the minimum debt service coverage ratio is going to be, you can calculate what is going to be the estimated or really the maximum amount you're going to have to pay for debt. So again, if you don't have all the terms for the loan while you're underwriting the deal before you put it under contract, a simple way to get an idea of what your maximum debt service is going to be is to take the current net operating income and divide it by that debt service coverage ratio. And that will give you an annual debt service. Divide that by 12, and that is going to be your monthly mortgage payment. Now, this is a worst-case scenario analysis. So if the deal doesn't make sense at that debt service, doesn't mean you should automatically eliminate that because you might be able to get a lower debt service once you've actually talked to a lender. So this isn't perfect, but it's better than just making up a number yourself and it's better than leaving it blank. And it's better than just not looking at a deal at all until you know exactly what your loan terms are going to be because they always change. Now with that out of the way, let's talk about how to select your ideal loan. So the first thing that you're going to want to determine is if you qualify for a non-recourse loan. And that happens by having a conversation with your mortgage broker. So ask them, based off of that personal financial statement that you provided, based off of how you plan on raising money for this deal, based off of the types of deals you're looking at, do they believe you can qualify for non-recourse debt? Because if you can't qualify for, let's say, agency non-recourse debt, then you're either going to have to pay a loan guarantor a lot more money because they're going to be personally liable, or you're going to have to find a loan that you do qualify for the non-recourse, or you're going to have to figure out what you need to do in order to qualify for that agency non-recourse loan. So let's say you qualify for non-recourse. Next question you're going to ask yourself is, how long does the loan need to be? And if you are a long-time Best Ever listener, or if you read the blog, if you read any of our books, you know about Joe's three immutable laws of real estate investing. Law number two is to secure debt that is longer in term than the hold period. So that means if you have a five-year projected hold period, which means you plan on selling the property after five years, then you're going to want your loan to be able to be greater than five years. Now, if you remember in the top loan program episode, some of those renovation loans, those bridge loans, had a term of three years. So if you plan on holding on to the property for five years and the loan term is three years, then according to the three immutable laws of real estate investing, that loan will not work for that project. However, you have to remember the extensions. So if you do have a five-year hold period, then you can secure a bridge loan or a renovation loan with a three-year term and the ability to extend it by a year two times. So that means that the total potential length of the loan is five years. And that does meet the three immutable laws of real estate investing, which is actually 
either it needs to be equal to or greater than the projected hold period. And the reason is because you don't want to be forced to refinance or forced to sell at a loss. So once you have that question answered, that might eliminate some loans from contention. So if you want to hold on to the property for 10 years, then a loan program that has a maximum loan turn of, say, seven years isn't going to work. Next is you're going to want to ask yourself if you want the renovations to be included in the loan or not. And the first thing that you need to ask yourself about that is what is your budget per unit? So if you remember, some of the renovation loans or some of just the regular agency loans have a minimum or a maximum per unit CapEx cost. So if the maximum per unit is, for example, $6,500, which is, I believe, what it was for the two-to-one HUD loan, and your budget is $10,000 per unit, then that HUD loan is automatically disqualified. You also want to keep in mind that if you do not include the renovations in the loan, then you're going to have to raise capital to cover the renovations. So if you have a large renovation budget, and for some reason you can't qualify for a renovation loan, that's going to throw off the cash-on-cash return to your investors by a lot. Because rather than, for example, getting a 80% or a 75% loan-to-cost renovation loan, where they bring 25% down of the total project costs, instead you're going to be stuck with, say, an 80% LTV loan. So you put down 20%, plus you have to raise an additional $10 million for renovations. Now, sometimes that might come out to be lower than the down payment for a renovation loan, but more likely than not, it is going to be higher. And if the deal still makes sense by you raising money, then great. If not, then you're going to have to consider getting one of the renovation loans that meet all of the requirements. Something else you're going to want to ask yourself is if you want a fixed rate or a floating rate. So as I mentioned, the fixed rate means that the interest rate stays the same throughout the entire hold period. And for the floating rate, it is typically based off of the one-month liver rate. And we're actually going to be doing a Ask the Expert blog post on the pros and cons of the fixed interest rate versus the floating interest rate. And that should be live by the time this episode releases. But just at a high level, both are good options. One's not absolutely bad and one's not absolutely good. But at a high level, you're typically going to want to pick either fixed or floating based off of your business plan. So for deals that you plan on adding a lot of value to and drastically improving over time, then a floating interest rate might make the most sense because it provides the most flexibility for you to sell or refinance the deal once you complete that business plan. Whereas for deals that you plan on maybe improving a little bit or not improving at all, then it is likely going to be better to have a fixed interest rate because it might be a little bit more difficult to refinance the fixed interest rate early on. You're going to be able to offset that by securing a supplemental loan to capture some of that value instead. And the reason why it's more difficult to refinance the fixed interest rate compared to the floating rate is based off of how the lenders actually create their loans. So the longer term loans like Freddie and Fannie Mae that offer the fixed interest rate they tie their loans to treasuries. And since these lenders have priced their loan with the expectation of that loan being in place for a long period of time, there's going to be a higher prepayment penalty to either sell or refinance the loan early. 
which, again, doesn't make it difficult to do, but it makes it costly to you, which, I guess, in turn, makes it difficult. Whereas, as I mentioned, the short-term lenders who offer the floating rates tie them to the one-month LIBOR rate. So since it's tied to such a short-term security, they offer a lot more flexibility for refinancing or selling without that large prepayment penalty. So, again, based on your business plan, fixed and floating rates might be better. And then if you determine that, okay, I plan on holding on this property for a while, I'm not necessarily doing a lot of improvements, so I want to do a fixed interest rate, then you're going to want to find a loan program that has that long-term fixed interest rate. Something else to keep in mind in regard to the floating interest rate, which is typically going to be lower than the fixed interest rate at the start, is that since it's floating, you might want to consider purchasing a cap. So in that case, again, it's kind of a crystal balling here, but you want to kind of ask yourself, okay, do I think this interest rate is going to shoot through the roof? And if it does shoot through the roof, how much more will I be paying per year compared to how much money will it cost to just buy a cap of, say, you know, a few percentage points instead? So it's kind of a pros versus cons, risk versus reward analysis. Something else you want to consider is if you want to do interest only. So for interest only, let's say you buy a property that is not stabilized at all, and you still want to be able to, to distribute some cash flow during the renovation process, then doing an interest-only loan might be your best option because, as the name implies, you're only paying interest on the principal rather than paying down the principal, so your debt service is going to be lower, which means your cash-on-cash cash return is going to be lower. And it might even make sense if the property is stabilized and you plan on drastically increasing the rents, and you still want to hit that preferred return year one, get an interest-only loan for one or two years while you're doing those renovations so that you can distribute cash flow. And then by the time the interest-only period expires, you've increased the income to the point where the increase in your debt service does not eat into your cash flow. Something else to keep in mind about the interest-only as well is that, as I mentioned, one of the return factors is the IRR. And all things being equal, if you give me $10,000, and I give you $1,000 at the end of year one versus $1,000 at the end of year two, the IRR in scenario number one is actually higher because of the time value of money. So similarly, with the interest only, since your debt service is going to be lower, if you look at the difference between, okay, so if I have an interest only loan, it's $10,000 a month, whereas if I don't have an interest only loan, it's $15,000 a month, you're able to distribute that $5,000 Earlier on in the business plan, which, again, based off of the time value of money, is worth more than paying down that principal, paying down that $5,000, and then distributing that $5,000 five years later at sale. So when you're thinking about interest only, you want to think about, if I do interest only, will I be able to distribute my preferred return to investors earlier? And also, you want to consider that time value of money. If you decide to go with the interest only loan, like all the other factors I discussed, then you're going to have to pursue a loan program that offers interest only and ones that do not automatically get eliminated from contention. You also want to consider whether or not you want an assumable loan. And I recommend listening to part three for the pros and cons of the assumable loan. And essentially, it might make your deal more competitive on the back end when you sell if all the pros are in place if the terms now are better than they are at sale, and if the buyer can actually qualify for that loan. So based off of all those factors I discussed, you're able to kind of narrow down the loan programs that are right for you. A really kind of good starting approach is, again, to reach out to your mortgage broker 
tell them what you plan on doing, give them background on yourself, and then ask them what they believe is the best loan program for you. And then ask them what are a couple other loan programs that you think would be a good fit as well. And then what you can do is you can create a loan matrix. So you can do that up front, but then you also want to do that on the back end when the deal's under contract and you're going out to different mortgage brokers and lenders and sending them all that documentation and asking them to provide you with a quote. You want to drop all those quotes into the loan matrix as well. And we're also going to be giving away another free document, which will be a loan matrix template, where essentially you input all the loan terms and it spits out your monthly debt service. And might not necessarily want to go for the one that has the lowest debt service because other factors need to be considered like interest only, fixed versus floating interest rates, are the renovations included in the loan or not, how long are the loan, is it recourse versus non-recourse, things like that. But that'll give you a snapshot of the various loans and you can look at those, analyze those, and then move forward with the best loan for you, again, based off of your specific business plan. And of course, you can download that free document at syndicationschool.com or in the show notes of this episode. Now, that concludes this podcast as well as the overall podcast series for how to secure financing for your apartment syndication loan. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about the second thing you should be doing during the contract to close period, which is performing your due diligence. So we're going to take a deep dive into that process. And then, as I mentioned, the third thing you'll be doing from this contract to close period is securing those commitments from your investors, which will be the podcast series directly after the next one about due diligence. So in the meantime, I recommend listening to parts one through three, again, of this podcast series, as well as the other syndication school series we have on the how-tos of apartment syndication. And make sure you download your free loan matrix as well as the other free documents we have available at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.